Welcome to the Entrepreneur Academy with your hosts, Nick Dutton of Engage Finance and James Cross from Crossover Property on this episode of the Entrepreneur Academy. If you're starting out, buy yourself a little banger, don't, don't have a flash car, don't have finance, or don't have credit card debt for consumables that you don't need. Yeah. Cut out all the luxury stuff. You, you don't, if you don't need it, Right? Don't, don't have it. But now, here are your hosts, Nick and James. Today we've got Ash Karamuki with us. Morning. And obviously James is here with me as well today. Hello. Um, so we thought today we'll just do a brief interview with Ash. Do you want to give us a brief overview of you, who you are, tell everyone who you are? Oh, blimey, where do I start? Property investor, first yeah. and foremost. Um, I founded um, Derby Enterprise, which is a, a local business uh, network meeting. Okay. Uh, so encourage those that are in startup phase and also those that are a little bit more further down the line, yeah. uh, more established to, to network, uh, where those with more experience can help those uh, who are starting their journeys. Is that just property related or is it for... No, no, it's all business sectors. Okay. Um, I did uh, co-run uh, another solely property network, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I found that there was more benefit to the, the larger business community for to all business generic. sectors to, to interact. Because to be honest with you, from my experience, I, I, I run my business like a lot of people in property. I do things a certain way that I've learned from other people in property. But when I looked at how uh, people from other business sectors were, were dealing with yeah. certain business yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I found that I could learn so much from people in other, other sectors. So, so other people in property could benefit from this as well, and startups as well. So mm. there's there's obviously you know, the Princess Trust and, and other membership yeah. programs that, that startups uh, can use. But I think getting to know people in your local community, you know, and so many people out there with a lot of experience that are willing to help those less experienced for nothing in return. Yeah. And you know, having that as a startup when you've got limited capital and experience yeah. is, is so valuable. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't realise that actually starting a property business is just a start business. It is, yeah. Start it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You got, and you can start property. Yeah, you can start a business with no money. Like you can start a property business with mo- yeah. no money in theory. Yeah, it's similar, isn't it? But you need to work with people that are in a similar sort of space. Yeah, it's gaining that knowledge yeah. and leveraging other people's experience. I mean, I wanted to network with uh, other local businesses. Yeah. And to be honest with you, the easiest way to do that is to run my own event. Yeah. You know, I think I'm probably the only one that that's running really casually. Yeah. I, I have no structure. Anything yeah. goes. You know, just go with the flow. So yeah. it's in a pub. It's always in the beer garden when it's nice weather. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just really chilled and relaxed and. The thing is, with a lot of networking events, when they're really structured, while that is great, yeah. there's, there's definitely a place for that, and I found those sort of events to be really valuable. Yeah. A lot of startups that have never been to networking events uh, around business and that sort of thing, they're a little bit nervous, yeah. um, they think that they, they don't really have anything to offer people. Um, so to come to a casual networking event like yeah. mine, the, the, the fire on the feet and you know, they feel more comfortable um, pretty much straight away. Yeah, straight I think more business is done at those sort of events than anything yeah. else. And when you go to the thing, and PPNs and pins are brilliant, but there's 40 odd people in there. Yeah. And if, if that's your first ever event, you think, oh my God, like this is yeah. mental. 
So yeah, I think it, I think it's a good way to do Especially it. Especially when people go suited and booted. You know, yeah, it can yeah. Really intimidating. Yeah, and it's, it's difficult as well to actually have a conversation with people. Sometimes you just sit there listening to a talk, and then everyone wants to go home afterwards, and you never actually get to speak to anyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with the informal ones. You do get to start to to mingle with people and, and know um, you know what other people are doing. So yeah. I've been to somewhere they give you like five minutes and then after literally as five minutes comes they blow a whistle and you have to sit down and you're like I've only just got started chatting with someone in five minutes yeah, it might have been someone that you really want to spend yeah. a lot more time with yeah. Yeah. a lot of people were saying that they're like too busy or networking's not for me I know it's a bit controversial and people are busy but what, what do you honestly feel about that? there is value in it Yeah. in networking obviously but like I say if you're just going to go there and not do anything to follow up or not go regularly, then you might as well not go at all. Yeah. You've got to you gotta take action. Yeah. And like anything, if you're gonna go there and you go there because you force yourself to go there, perhaps it isn't for you. Yeah. Um, but if you are going to build those relationships with the people that you do meet, then it could go a long way. So th- there is definitely a place for networking and I think everybody should try it. When I started out, I didn't talk to anyone really about what I was doing because yeah. I was scared of being judged, yeah. being told that uh, I couldn't make it, I couldn't yeah. do what I wanted to do, I was being unrealistic. Yeah. Social media wasn't as prevalent as it is now, so to connect with people was a little bit more difficult, very difficult. Yeah. Um, I knew of a couple of the landlords uh, in my local area, uh, one that is still a good friend. Um, so I didn't really have that network of people to discuss ideas with and as a result of that I've made huge mistakes which could have been avoided yeah, yeah, yeah. so if people are starting out now I would say that networking is absolutely key yeah. really yeah. but you've got to take that action yeah, you've got to go there you've got to listen to what more experienced people have got to say yeah. and, and actually take heed of their advice the biggest thing for me with networking A is basically free training isn't it at the end of the day because you can pick your brain of anyone in the room but property is it's bloody lonely you know the hours you spend on your own you think actually I quite like just going out and talking to people (laughs) because you just never get the chance to do it yeah it shows you everyone else is in the same boat as well everyone's working hard and doing the evenings and and putting the effort in and you're not just on your own yeah yeah totally agree with that yeah it makes you feel like you're doing the right thing yeah so and then obviously you do your podcast as well who else have you interviewed what have you got coming up what's your plans for that uh, my plan is to uh, interview as many interesting people so it's not just solely about business yeah. um, in the strict sense of the, you know, the term yeah. um, it's about people that have got what I would perceive as an extraordinary mindset uh, view on life like with people from sports backgrounds ok um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think people that are in sports and creative industries, they are the very interesting people. Their mindset is very different to mine because my creativity is not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, motivating myself to go to the gym, I find difficult. Um, so I find those people quite inspiring. And people that can get up 
crack of dawn before the sun rises oh, yeah. and do a session in the gym. Yeah. Yeah, hats off to you. If you've got that mindset, you're going to go well in business. Yeah. I agree. I, I've interviewed a, a few people that have that mindset and I learn a great deal from that and I find that motivating and inspirational. So that's what I get out of doing the podcast. Yeah, I, I get to um, understand how people work and how they live their life and how what they're doing can be relevant to me and how I can use that to better my life, both on a personal level and a business level. And I think in business, mindset is a big thing. Yeah, 100%. If you asked me 10 years ago about how mindset is relevant to business, I wouldn't understand really what you're talking about. I I just didn't get it. Uh, I thought mindset was going out and making as much money as you possibly can. Yeah. at whatever expense yeah. but I've realised now that it, it's not it's about obviously the, the whole value proposition and mindset around business so I've in recent years learned to only take on stuff that I actually enjoy yeah. so even if there may be another opportunity uh, exists yeah. and that opportunity is right on the table in front of me but it's not something I'm going to enjoy I've learned to walk away divesting a little bit yeah, yeah. I got into a, a place where or say no to anything. I think we all do. When you start out, you do. Yeah. Don't you? you just say, because you're thinking, oh, my business relies on it. It's a good thing and a bad thing. Obviously, yeah. at the beginning, you feel you have to because yeah. you need the funds. So you, you have to do things that you don't necessarily enjoy. And I still do things that I don't particularly enjoy. Yeah. But I choose whether I take them on or not. Like, obviously, with the podcast and everything, I want to, I mean, I thought about it for a while. And the bit I enjoy is talk to people. Yeah. As you can tell, I'm a chatty man. yeah. yeah. I love it, I love interacting with people. Um, but the technical side of things, it, it, I'm not good at it and it doesn't really interest me, yeah. to be honest, enough to, to really learn and spend the time uh, to, to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I got in touch with Pete Allen, uh, he was on a local radio station, uh, in Aaron's character country media, and thanks to him, thanks, thanks Pete, he's <laughs> uh, it, made it possible yeah, for me to- Yeah, just leverage it out. Yeah, my podcast will, will be only good because of him, yeah. If I was doing it on my own, well, yeah. content, content's <laughs> the most important thing. Yeah. As long as you can hear the content. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I digressed a bit. Sorry. No, no, no. What was the That's what it's for. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of leading from the training part, what what training have you had? We'll talk property proper, properly. Okay, as so well. property training, uh, not a great deal to be honest. Yeah. Years ago, I shunned it. I had the mindset, quite negatively, really, the mindset that I'll learn from doing. Yeah. And there is a lot to be said for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, I would say I've got regrets from making the mistakes I've made because they've been, they have been costly mistakes, but yeah. I've learned. But as the old saying goes, you're going to learn one way or another, whether you pay for your education or you go out and make the mistakes for yourself. Exactly. I have had some mentorship and yeah. some paid help. Yeah. Uh, and there's definitely a place for that. Yeah. Would I do more? Yes, I would. Okay. But I think. I'll be very careful with the people that I do choose uh, to mentor me. That's where a lot of people make the mistake. There's a lot of people out there that are selling training and mentorship without actually having done a lot, if anything, in the field that they're training on. And I would say, from a moral perspective, I think that's wrong. I think it's very wrong, to be honest. I would never offer advice 
free or pay to anyone unless I've actually done it. It's not just about doing it for a bit, it's about seeing the whole cycle and the whole yeah. the whole business side that yeah. you, if you've not been there long enough to see the ups and the downs, you can't fully advise your mentees about it. If you've been exactly. there six months and you've, you've got the hype all going well, yeah. well, what happens when it goes wrong? The next time I pay someone to help me in my business, I want to know that they've made some massive fuck-ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I want to know that they've actually made some massive fuck-ups and how they've actually learned, what what they've learned from that and how they've dealt with it. Yeah, yeah. Because if they've actually made the mistakes for themselves, then they understand the risks and the the way to to get around that obstacle, whatever it may be, inside out. And that's where the value is. That is where the value is. You might have got someone that is doing training like you say they've been in the property business or yeah. whatever business for five minutes even if it's like a couple of years I don't think it's still long enough yeah I mean I think like you say that when fuck ups happen and things go wrong and it's it's people's ability to come out of those and still be successful in business you look at any of the sort of big you know business people and people that have been successful they all have things go wrong yeah. and it, it's when people have that ability to plough through it and solve it that's the kind of people you want to be with. If you're looking at the property industry in particular, um, if you look at those people that started before the recession, they rode the wave, that was all good. Any Tom, Dick and Harry could make money yeah. prior to 2007, 2008 in yeah. the UK property market. Yeah. I and mean, you could make some massive mistakes and still walk out smelling roses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you've got someone like that and then it's gone through the recession that, that, that came after yeah. and they've come out the other end, and they're still successful in yeah. property yeah, yeah. and they've not been wiped off that is Those the kind of ones. person that you want as a mentor because yeah. they've, they've been to hell and back yeah. I mean I started out sort of like at the back end of the recession 2000 and well I actually bought the first house not in the UK but I bought the first house in 2006 and that's when the shit really hit the fan yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know maybe I should be doing a bit of mentoring really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. if we lead on to talk about your property journey what, what sort of stuff have you done? Because you mentioned you, you started 2006 buying your first property. Was that your start of your property journey? I've always dabbled in property yeah. for other people. 2006, September 2006, I bought, bought my first house in Bulgaria of all places. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Everyone's like, <laughs> I know everyone listens to this, we're yeah. like, oh God, yeah. here we go. Yeah. You want to be a mentor, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another Wally that went out to Bulgaria. Uh, yeah, I was that Wally that went out to Bulgaria. But it's 18. So for an 18-year-old, I took my life savings, which wasn't a great deal, yeah. I'll have you know. Uh, I, I don't come from, uh, you know, a rich family or anything like that. It was literally, I worked the odd job, got some savings, and I went out there uh, and I bought three neighbouring properties on my first visit in September 2006. Um, I was out there, I think, for about a week. I viewed these properties completely derelict. Uh, but going back a little bit, there was some method in my madness that I wanted to buy property in the UK. Yeah. But at the time, um, although I should have perhaps researched it a little bit more, I didn't think I could be able. I was able to get the finance yeah. to buy in the UK. Yeah. Um, it was expensive. I didn't really have enough as a deposit. Mm-hmm. So I looked at. Uh, Poland, that's my first stop because I've got some Polish family yeah. uh, and I noticed that when they joined the EU in 2004 property prices, particularly in the cities like Warsaw, had, had soared and I believe that was due to 
um, immigration from Poland to the yeah. UK. Yeah. Work as Kays who worked, they earned more money than they could back home doing the same jobs. They took the money back home and bought property. And so that stimulated their economy. So I looked at which countries were going to join the EU imminently yeah. and hoped that the same thing would happen. Makes sense. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Right. So I bought in September 2006 in Bulgaria. They joined the EU in 2007 in January, so a few months later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but immigration was capped. Um, then you got the global banking crisis, also prime mortgages, which obviously had a whole yeah. knock-on effect, yeah. like a domino effect throughout Europe as well. Um, so it was just it was just houses that I bought that I had to sit on really I couldn't yeah. sell them I couldn't do anything with them I couldn't get any any finance off the back of them couldn't mm-hmm. borrow I couldn't use them as security to borrow money to do them up they yeah. were derelict properties so it wasn't off plan or anything like that they weren't new bills they were derelict um, they're, they're probably looted now so there's probably even less left on them oh, really? I, I, did, I didn't learn from that lesson <laughs> so in 2007 they bought another two uh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. You know, <laughs> let's, you know, when things are going bad, let's yeah, just yeah. go all in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I did. I bought another two, um, which was a daft idea. Um, and it wasn't until 2010 it was I bought my first house in the UK. Okay. Um, and then I bought another one in 2011. Uh, rented those out. Bit of uh, income from those. Yeah. Still maintaining a day job. Um, I managed to find a buyer for the Bulgarian properties. Um, in 2013 but wow. so basically after coming back from Bulgaria I had to start from square one yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, after bought the five I was skinned yeah. um, so I had to start again and I think that that actually did teach me a massive lesson um, just to, to learn about what you would do before you spend money yeah, yeah. I mean when, you, when you're saying you, you obviously had five that seems quite a lot or are they just cheap yeah, you can buy props out there for a couple of grand. Oh, really? Uh, okay. So I ended up selling a lot for, for like five grand. <laughs> really? Five and a thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive yeah. loss. And there was fees and taxes. So back, in, course, back yeah. in 2006, because they weren't part of the EU, you had to set up a company through which to purchase property as an, a non-national Bulgarian. Yeah. Uh, so there was huge costs in that, translation costs, legal costs. So yeah, I mean, you can buy a house for a couple of grand, but then you've got all these associated costs. It's a little bit easier now, yeah, because uh, you don't have to set up a company, I believe, to, to own it. You can own your personal name. So has that made you over cautious now, or are you still just like, yeah, sod it? To a degree, but yeah. I say I say this. Did I learn? I went out and bought a condo in Canada. So okay, <laughs> you know, after Bulgaria, I was like, I'm never buying any property yeah. in any other country than the UK because yeah. I know the UK. But after the two that I bought in the UK, I went out to Canada for a couple of years and ended up buying a condo over there. Okay. Um, yeah, I do regret selling that now in hindsight because that's done really well yeah, if yeah. I kept it. Yeah, that would have made a lot of money, and plus it would be a nice little bolt hole in Toronto. Yeah. Um, but you live and learn. Well, you know, yeah, very true. It's one of them. I needed the cash to, to put into more UK property, so it had to go. Well, what's your sort of investment strategy and plan then for, say, the UK? Are you, are you just sticking to buying simple buy to lets and investment property, just cash and cash flowing over, or what's your plan? So. I love my single lets yeah. and so many people knock them and I can understand why because they're, they're not, not massive cash cows you've got to have a lot to make a lot of money um, you could do one HMO and say you your cash flow net £1,000 a month well you're going to need four or five single lets yeah. to, to do the same yeah. but I love single lets because they're easy to manage 
generally, once you've got a good tenant in there, they stay for a, for a good length of time. Yeah. Uh, and even if they want to move on, they often ask me, have you got anything a bit bigger in the local area? So if they're yeah, a good tenant, yeah. I would go to the extreme of buying a property to suit them if it was a good investment. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, just to keep a good tenant. Uh, with HMOs, tenants tend to be more transient. Um, there's obviously a lot more legislation around it, but again, you, you can. There is opportunity to make more money. Yeah, yeah. But do you think people are too focused on the numbers and not actually realising how difficult they are to manage? Yes, a lot of people go in for the cash flow, which is understandable. Yeah, I, I like a bit of both. So I've got one small HMO. Would I do more? Yes. I've got a three bed HMO. Um, I wouldn't do another three bed HMO. Uh, I don't think yeah. it makes enough money to justify it as a HMO. Okay. It's not really a HMO, so to speak. It's, it's a minimo. It's it? a minimo, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, but I did it just so that I could say, yeah, I've done it. So now I can actually go out and say, well, actually, three bed HMOs don't work because I've done it, or at least they don't work in this area, yeah. which yeah. is my little patch. Um, it makes about, I think, about £500 a month clean profit if there isn't any major okay. maintenance. Which for a single lot, I'd make two fifty seven months from from yeah, as a single yeah, lot. Yeah. Is the extra worth the hassle? No, I don't think it is. But I've done it. Um, I would do a larger HMO, but I don't want my whole portfolio to be HMOs. A lot of people are focused on HMOs, yeah. which I get. Obviously, with commercial revaluations, you're putting a lot of money out. Yeah. Um, often, all your money back out. So I can understand why people do it, particularly if they've got investors that need to pull that money out. Yeah. yeah. Single lets, if I've got my money tied up for 18 months, two years, so be it. Yeah. I plan for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I live off my single lets. So I know that's a fairly steady income. There's there's not really, there's no big voids, no big maintenance issues. Yeah. Nice, easy, simple. Do you self-manage your properties in a minute? Or you? No. No? No. Yeah, it's so completely hands-off. Completely hands-off. Yeah, brilliant. And that's another thing with HMO. Like, for my minimo, I do have a really good letting agent I'll even name drop Jamie Hayter in Derby um, yeah. I would not manage it myself yeah. uh, I find it just I don't want the phone ringing with, with problems all the time uh, I'm quite happy to, to to pay Jamie to take on all that responsibility yeah. plus he's, he's so good at it and he's good with people okay. not, not to say that I'm not very good with yeah, people yeah, well it is. Yeah. If, if I've got loads on my plate I don't really want to have to deal with all these little problems all the time that just yeah. consume consume you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to. And they've got the systems uh, in place to deal with it. Exactly, and the experience yeah. as well. If if I wanted to manage tenants, I'd have set up a letting agency. But that's not where where my heart is. My heart's in developing property and yeah. building my portfolio. There's only so much time that I, I, I can dedicate to to my business, and you know I need to outsource stuff. Yeah. Eventually, I will probably outsource everything and only get my, my boots on when absolutely necessary. Worst case scenario, yeah. But I know exactly what that would cost me. You know, yeah. when, I, when I'm going to, so I'm, like, I'm looking at new builds now, I've literally worked out my costings uh, on a traditional build, how much it's going to cost me per square metre of bricks, block, um, stud, everything, how much every single brick is going to cost me in labour so yeah. literally labour cost per yeah. brick uh, so I know exactly where my figures yeah, are yeah. so obviously you've got a contingency there but I know that I shouldn't touch that contingency yeah. it's yeah. only for the things that 
are unforeseen. Yeah. Like get getting the build out of the ground, for example. So groundworks, once you're out of the ground, pretty, I know pretty much exactly cost what, what cost, cost yeah. is down to yeah. pound. And new builds are almost easier to forecast and cost than they are conversion projects. Once you're out of the ground, yeah. I think yeah. You know what you know what you're putting in there. With conversion projects, you've got to start ripping stuff out and then you can yeah. find things. It's a minefield. Yeah, I mean we we've had it where we pull floors up or pull ceilings down and joists have got woodworm in them and need replacing or you've got old lead piping in there and it's little things like that you don't account for. I think but little things can cost a lot of money, right? They can, they can add up. And again, I think that's where networking comes in. Because I don't have a clue, and if I did get a quote, I'd ring one of you two. You pick up the phone anytime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is. That's, that's what network is for. Going back to that, yeah. I'd ring you or whatever. I'd say, this is what I've been quoted, and you go, that's full of rubbish. I kind of get what you mean about knowing it yourself. It does save, save a lot of time. Wouldn't it? So you, you've touched on development. Is that. I know from what we've talked about that's sort of the route you're going down yeah absolutely that's where I'm heading yeah because yeah, yeah. you find it more exciting or yeah obviously yeah my single lats is my bread and butter yeah um, I can live off my single lats so that gives me the time freedom then to take on other things mm-hmm. yeah like when, it, when I did the HMO my, my, my heart's not not really in HMOs but I did it because I had the time and resources to, to do it yeah mm. um, but my heart is in building yeah. Um, as you know, I've, I've looked into modular. Yeah. And I, I still really love the idea of modular, yeah. whether that be panelised, you know, SIP system, timber frame, or volumetric modular. I, I love the whole concept, and yeah. I think the construction industry in the UK is really behind the times mm-hmm. you know, with respect to that. It's changing, isn't it? It's, yeah, there's it's a lot more it. manufacturers, a lot more um, people doing it, and as, as Nick will know, more mortgage companies and yeah, yeah. into it all. Yeah. And, like you say, it needs to change from just putting up bricks where you've got you know a lot of time there, a lot of money, and yeah, everyone says we're in a housing crisis. So we need more homes to be built, and it's the speed and cost of all. Yeah. Um, what's your plan? Is it is it to build to hold and rent, or are you looking just to buy it and, and sell? Yeah, I think the first first few I'd probably build to sell to yeah. build up that, that yeah, capital pot yeah. again. Um, but if I could build build to rent, if the site suits a build to rent, then the the I the ideal um, exit is to refinance and yeah. keep hold of it, yeah. uh, just for that the red link, of that cash flow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I still want to continue to add to, to my portfolio in some shape or form. So from now on, I want to add, add at least one single let to the portfolio every year, regardless of what I'm doing. Okay. Um, if I do a, a, a build to rent uh, block of flats, That'd be great just to keep us in the portfolio. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah, if I'm leaving yeah. a little bit of cash in the deal, as long as I can move on to the next. Yeah. If I can afford to do that, then, then well. I think it's always desirable to keep. Um, but if, for example, if a plot of land is in a, a highly desirable area where most people are owner occupiers mm. and not renters, yeah. and it's a more executive type home, then that makes sense, obviously, to, yeah, to sell to it. On the project. Uh, but I'm not going to turn down a potential. Um, Opportunity, development yeah. opportunity, yeah. because it doesn't fit in with my portfolio to keep. Yeah, you know, I will build, build this out. People talk about having a power team. Mm. Is your would your power team be different on a development than it would be on a, a HMO single let, whatever? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, I'd be, I'd be on a development. I'd want to be project manager. Uh, okay. I will get my hands dirty, uh, guaranteed. More than happy to. 
Uh, and to be honest with you, I want to, to a degree. But going forward, I want to take on multiple projects at the same time. And I can't okay. be in two places at once. Yeah. So I do need to build up a power team. And getting people that I know, like, and trust to work with. If I'm on a building site all day, like, I want to work with people that are not only good at the job, give a good price. Yeah, yeah. But also that people that I actually want to work with. Because yeah. yeah. for me, it's, it's about the enjoyment of doing what I do, not just a cash cow, you know. What's your take on developments? Well, for me, I, I've got, I mean, I, I've been the same, I've kissed a lot of frogs um, in terms of builders, you know, there's, there's ones that I've gone well with, ones I haven't, and I'm now in a really good position where I've probably got, I've got three main guys I work with, and they're sort of split between two different project teams, so one team's doing small HMOs, buy-to-let refurbs for them, and the other guys are doing big HMO conversions, um, and sort of the small conversion development projects, and I think you kind of need to have that two levels of of skill sets because they're two different projects yeah. you know you've got the big ones where you're working off proper architects drawings and yeah. you're doing it all through building regulations and it's all you know it's a longer term project whereas a buy to let refurb as you know you just sort of whip through it quite quickly yeah um, so yeah I think yeah I think there's two different kind of build teams in my my experience of, of what you need um, but I see the developments and it's new to it's sort of semi new to you it's just expanding your skill set yeah. Um, and it's exciting for you because it's all new and it's, it's you're learning as you go along which, yeah. is, which is great so. I think the biggest learning curve for me on new builds is going to be foundations at the moment yeah. to be honest with you, I'm really struggling like costing up foundations because every site is different right. you're going to come across different problems with drainage services yeah um, it's like pricing up electric it's like where's it coming from for a start you know yeah and um, drains uh, weighing up whether the cost of connecting gas is worth it or not, uh, whether it's desirable or not, um, what sort of foundations you need. Um, and again, looking at like, the modular stuff, there's still a stigma attached to timber frame and modular, yeah. particularly in Northern England. Perhaps I'm, I'm tarring it with, with the wrong brush, but if I'm building a big executive home, there's a lot of people that will turn the nose up at a timber frame property right. but I think I do want to do it because I think there's attitudes need to change by, by someone building in timber frame or modular yeah. those attitudes aren't going to change it unless we're actually you do it. pushing that movement yeah. and it is, it is a big risk because it's cheaper and easier to, to build in traditional yeah do, is it going to take one of the big boys to do it for it to cash on Yes, I think to a degree. Yeah. But I think if there's someone locally that's bold enough uh, to put put the neck on the line uh, and do it, I think that will probably encourage the bigger builders. Yeah. I don't know, it's hard to say. I mean, there, there is, I forget the name of one local builder in Derby uh, that did their garages on an, a new build site. Yeah. So the houses were traditional, but the garages were... Uh, of a modular construction right. uh, so they are playing and toying with the idea yeah. um, but I think to move over to, to modular 100% modular or you know uh, timber frame design is a big step for a That's big massive, builder isn't it? yeah. you know, it's, yeah. got, it's got to go through so many processes yeah. to get to make that change and make that, that leap that it's going to take a long time whereas for a, a small small developer yeah. it's easier to, to have a go at it yeah to, yeah you know, muck through it to see if it really works. Yeah. And that's, that is where, where my heart is, really. But I know the first few developments I'm going to have to build in traditional uh, just to really de-risk those sites. Yeah. 
um, what in the future, in the next, next year or so, I want to really take a risk with uh, timber frame. Perhaps not volumetric modular because they're still very expensive. Yeah. Um, but timber frame, definitely. I think from a funding thing. side as well, is that's the right step. Yeah, because a lot of funders now, especially in the development space, they just they're so focused on the experience mm. more than anything. And if you're throwing lack of experience from a, a ground up development type deal, plus the modular, plus the timber frame, for them it's too many warning signs. Yeah. Whereas if you've done a, if if you've done a few standard and they work and you know you've got a good CV around it, yeah. then you move into modular. They're they're kind of going, actually this guy knows what he's doing. I think that's that's what's slowing it down. Yeah, because you need to do traditional really to, to earn your stripes. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Same with any other projects, isn't it? It's like if someone goes and buys a simple buy to let and then wants to do a big office office to resi conversion, then. Yeah, lenders will be like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, you have to yeah. work. Which is understandable. Up. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because a lot of people don't understand that. Why would they do it? Why would they do it? And you're like, these guys are lending you half a million quid. Would you lend someone half a million quid and all they've done is a single let refurb and no now you're buying some land? No chance. This is what I was saying. So it's like, it, it does take obvious steps. And when you talked about having two different build teams, yeah. again, that's massive from a funding element because if a builder's never done ground-up development, it's a completely different ballgame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So do you, do you work with investors then or is this just you as a, as a, a journey? Do you think it's slower? Would you work with investors? What? So I'd be working with another um, fellow investor, right. a friend of mine. If we can work together with the vendor, we'll also bring the vendor on board as well. Right. So it'd be sort of like a three-way deal yeah. uh, of some description. Uh, I've been chatting to uh, a friend who's a builder who does new builds um, about potentially joint venturing with him okay. uh, in some way or another. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it's good to work with people, although. That said, my single that portfolio, I, I don't, I don't work with people. No. So the deal's got to be right. Yeah, you know, the deal's got to be big enough and have enough meat on the bone uh, to, For everyone to, to get a slice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to make it worth everyone's while. Really. Yeah. What about people that think they can go to development straight away? Ooh. What's your opinion on this? <laughs> well, for, for people who've not had much experience and wanting to get into development, I think if you're, I think if you're unsure, you, you'd probably best to work with someone else on it. You know. You, uh, either someone who's done a development or a fellow builder or whatever it may be if you're completely new to it I'd, 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 I'd say go and do a JV or something with someone else who's had the experience yeah. and then they bring you along for the journey you help them out and bring a deal for example and it works works for everyone I think that's a very desirable uh, scenario yeah work, work with people with experience um, hence why I'm talking to French is a builder yeah, yeah. He's got a wealth of knowledge. Aside from development then, if we go back to sort of beginners, strategies as such, what do you think to people just managing property? Like you rent to rent, to lease options? Or if, I know your strategy has probably always been to buy. Yeah, when I started out, I didn't know anything about rent to rent. Okay. I didn't know of it. I didn't yeah. know anyone that was doing it. I didn't know there was training available. I don't think there was training available sort of like 13, 14 years ago, but it was kind of an unknown. Um, if I was starting out now with little to no money, I wouldn't go to bloody Bulgaria and no, no. buy shit out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would do rent to rent. Okay. I would put, if I got, say, between five and ten thousand pounds, 
I would look to take on some. I know I've said that oh, I don't particularly like HMO, but in this scenario, that would be the desirable starting point. Yeah. Take on, say, a five, six bed HMO, uh, fixed rent from an older landlord that doesn't want the hassle, and take on that hassle. Because when you're starting out, you don't have this existing portfolio that's consuming your time. You might have a day job, yeah. but that's it, 40 hours a week. Yeah. So you've got all this free time when you're not in your day job. I love so, that. Start so, with. Yeah. People think that they've got a day job, that's it. They yeah, can't do anything else. That's just a starting point. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, you, if you're working a 40 hour week, okay, so you might have a family in that, which which I which I haven't, so I don't have that as an, an additional uh, time con- constraint. Um, but there's, there's 24 hours in a day, you know, 40 hours out of your week is bugger all. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, to rent to rent, I think, is a good strategy to start with. And I know a few people. Uh, I'm actually going to be interviewing on the podcast a couple that have been very successful in rent to rent. But yeah, so taking on, say, a five, six bed property from an old landlord that doesn't want hassle, you take on hassle, you put your, the time in and effort in, spend your five, ten grand on that property, um, try and negotiate with. The, the owner of the property to, to make a contribution yeah. to those refurb works to get it up to a legal HMO standard, yeah. um, furnish it well, <clears throat> market it well, know your target audience, and get it rented out for, for top dollar. Yeah. You know, and then just rinse and repeat. Just do the same thing. Is that a no money down strategy? This is what frustrates me because I still think like you need money. It could be a no money down strategy if yeah. you're borrowing your initial capital. Yeah. Okay. So for example, if you found someone, say, you, say you've got no money at all, you found a rent to rent deal, a potential rent to rent deal where a landlord is, is happy for X amount per month to rent it to you on a fixed rate for say three to five years. Yeah. Um, but it needs some work doing to the property, say five grand's worth of work, thousand pound a room to, put nice new furniture in, yeah. potentially you might need fire doors, whatnot, all those sort of things. Uh, so say that property then needs needs five grand to do that. You could go to the vendor and say, uh, look, okay, to take this property off you for X amount of month, I'll guarantee that you're safe for five years, but it's gonna need five grand spending on it. Um, would you make a two and a half thousand pounds contribution because I'm putting fire doors in which will stay with the property I'm putting uh, smoke, hard wide smoke alarms which will stay with the property yeah. all of these things cost money so I'm actually increasing the value of your property and maintaining your investment for, for two and a half thousand pounds uh, of your, your input yeah. um, I think most, most landlords I know I would if I was in that position yeah two and a half grand there you go, get on with it. Yeah. You're guaranteeing my rent, you're improving the property. So then you've only got to find two and a half grand to make up the other half. Yeah. Well, two and a half grand isn't too, too not, hard no. to, to find someone to lend it to you. Yeah. I'd say offer a decent rate of return, six, eight percent, something like that. You yeah, can yeah, work yeah. out up to 10% if yeah. it's a family member to help them out as well, yeah, yeah. look after them. Uh, so then you've got yourself a no money down deal. Yeah. After a few months, you've made that money back. Um, so everything else is, is over and above and it's, it's all profit providing you make it work but yeah. it will work if you've done your due diligence and you're willing to put in the time and effort yeah I think that's the thing so many people say it doesn't work well if you're not willing to put in the time and effort required yeah. it's not going to work yeah and that's, only, that's the thing with anything yeah, it's yeah. you don't bloody work yeah. yeah so many people say property's easy it, it should be passive income and all this well when you're starting out I mean, I, my, my property business is not passive income now. No. Okay, I've got some residual income, right? From re- rental properties, like single lets there, don't need that much time and effort maintaining and, yeah. and, and managing. But it's not passive. No. You know? 
you've got to have a pretty big portfolio to be able to afford to outsource absolutely everything to become passive. So I'm not saying that it's it's not possible to achieve completely pa passive income from property, but what I'm saying is, for the vast majority of people, it's not passive income. Yeah. yeah. And but I think what would you prefer to be doing a full-time day job that you hate, or property which you may enjoy? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the same with you. You've got a essentially a passive income, but I'm the same. I wouldn't want to just stop stop suddenly and like live on a beach somewhere. I, I've learned so much in property and I enjoy it. I want to keep on doing more. Yeah, and then yeah. you just pick and choose the bits you enjoy. Exactly, right? yes. It's not the stuff that you don't like. Yeah, yeah, you're not starting from zero. You've got a, a backup and you've got something there, but yeah. you just know you're going to go and do more. I couldn't sit around doing bugger all. Yeah. I've always got to have something <laughs> on the go. Yeah. But it's nice to be able to know to, to a degree that you've got that's fairly secure income that you can live on. I live a very simple life anyway, so I can live off bugger all. I, I think those that go into property expecting and wanting a passive income are going to fail. Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, I've done things pretty slow, granted, so we're talking 13, 14 years to get to this point. Yeah, I could have been a lot faster if I put in more effort. Yeah. To a degree, I had an issue with spending the money that the business made because I felt like I didn't deserve it. That I had to reinvest it. I, I owed it to the business to reinvest to grow. it. Yeah. To grow the business. So taking money out of the business to live, it's still a strange concept to me. Yeah, yeah. If I'm honest. But that's a mindset thing. Yeah. I, I, I will live off like basic needs. I'll live off the business profit. Yeah. But I find it hard to spend money from the business on luxury items that I don't need. The business would have to be making over a million for me to spend money on a half decent like that. Yeah, but that's a mindset thing. It is. You, know, you, you yeah. always think crazy thing. If, if you've got a spare little pot of cash, what do you go and do? Do you go and buy another property? It's going to give you income for life. Or do you go and buy a car? It's going to depreciate. It's it's looking at. Yeah. And I was speaking to a friend of mine. He's got a problem. Every time he's got any spare cash, he always goes and buys another property. That's exactly and then, right. But he's never got any money. But, but he knows in the long term he'll have a nice good portfolio that's going to secure him for the rest of his life yeah exactly yeah. I mean it's a standing joke with myself that I'm rich for a day because <laughs> I'll get a refinance through and I've already got the next deal lined up that he's yeah. going into so it's in the bank and you're like that's yeah. nice yeah. you know yeah. think of all the things that, you know, the pretty things I can buy yeah. from that oh, it's car nice how it is no I'm buying another little uh, scruffy to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if someone young was planning to start a property, what would you? What tips would you give them now that obviously you've been through, and made the mistakes for them? I'll give my advice, but it's very, very personal because yeah. my advice is based on my personality yeah. and my my needs yeah. and wants. So it'd be interesting to hear what your opinion is. Yeah. Um, but I would advise get your living costs down to an absolute bare minimum. Yeah. If you don't need it, don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of the, the flash car. If you've got, I mean, I, I'm a, I understand that it's economical once you've built a business to lease, lease vehicles, not, not own them. Uh, it does make sense. But if you're starting out, buy yourself a little banger that just gets you from A to B. Don't, don't have a flash car. Don't be, you know, have finance. So don't have credit card debt for consum consumables that you don't need. Yeah. Cut out all the, all the the luxury stuff. You, you don't if you don't need it, right? Don't don't have it. Yeah. Because your business can benefit more from that yeah. cash injection. Hundred percent. Plus, the more money you're able to uh, put aside to invest in your business, it's the less money that you've got to borrow. So it yeah. keeps your borrowing costs down, keeps your risk down, it risks everything. 
Um, plus, if you're not spending money on uh, all these luxury items, it's less stress. Yeah. And if you're less stressed, you're going to be thinking straighter, you're going to be making better decisions, you're going to be able to take a little bit more of a financial risk knowing that if things go pear-shaped that you haven't got all these liabilities to, to cover the cost of. Yeah. So that's first and foremost. Two, get free education. There's so much free content out Absolutely. there, like podcasts like this. Yeah. Uh, reach out to people like us yeah. that can help you, uh, like yourself for finance. Yeah. You know, people start, now I wish I'd got more educated on finance when I started out, because yeah. potentially I could have got a mortgage in the UK without going Bulgaria and risking yeah. everything yeah. out there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure nowadays that, you know, knowing what I know now, that I could have back there. Yeah. But I, I wasn't well educated enough. I, mean, I did do research on it. Uh, so make use of all the free content out there, uh, both on social media, podcasts. You know, you've got uh, Audible. There's so much great content. And there's on loads there, of like it. Seven, eight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, make use of that. It's, it's cheap education. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, if you feel that you need a mentor, be very picky about what you want to get out of it. And choose the right person to suit you. Yeah. Because not every mentor will be suitable for what you want to do. You might have someone who's really successful in, say, commercial conversions, who knows a lot about it, who's very successful, who's been through everything. But if you want to do, if you want to do, uh, for example, build a single lap portfolio as your bread and butter like I have, then that's, that's not going to be the mentor for you. No. Even though they may know it, it's not going to be in their interest. They're not, that's not their strategy. Yeah. So get someone who's really passionate about the strategy that you want to do. Right at the beginning of my journey, I, mean, I sort of yeah, I was struggling to ask for help sometimes. But the more you do, the more you realise what people actually are out there to help you, and they're not, you know, they're nice, genuine people. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. Good old. Some people are happy just to be in that community where they're giving something back. Yeah. 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 I know that I am now, like. If somebody asks me about single lacks and stuff like that, or a contact, you know, the struggle like I made to my needed a plasterer uh, at short notice. I, I think I gave them over, over ten different contacts. Yeah. But you know, if you didn't ask, you'd probably be stuck in yeah, yeah. to find someone. Relying on Google or exactly. whatever, and then getting ripped off. So yeah, and again, go back to networking. It's it's really important. So I think if you're going to if you're going to go do something, commit to it as well. Um, don't fit in and out of things. I was terrible for it when I was starting out on different things. I was trying to do so many different strategies, so many different types of business, and you're never going to go and actually be successful unless you try and focus on one or two things at once. Um, so, yeah, that's my uh, opinion on it. <laughs> Give us an overview of when the next Diary Enterprise is, anything you've got coming up, what your podcast's called. The Enterprise Podcast, and I'm interviewing people from different um, sectors, both in business. Uh, sport, you name it, just really interesting people that I find inspirational and motivational. Um, so that's the podcast. Derby Enterprise, local to Derby, yeah. obviously. Uh, networking event for all business sectors. So whether you've been in the game for decades or you're just starting out, it uh, doesn't matter what sector you're in. Um, wherever you are in the country, if you're coming from afar, you know, we're going to welcome you because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. bringing a wealth of knowledge. Um, and maybe you, you'll find your next business partner uh, in the meetup. It's dead casual, so it's not high pressure. I don't sell anything. Yeah. I'm going to keep it as free for as, uh, as for as long as possible, um, if not indefinitely, if I can. 
Um, so if the podcast generates some some revenue that I can then uh, put into making the the network meeting um, more interesting, building on that, then that's yeah. what I'll do. Just move money around to, to help help uh, and reach more people as possible. When's that and where is it? Uh, so that's in Derby at the Greyhound Pub, okay. uh, Frygate. Brilliant. So feel free to buy me a drink. Though. Yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Cheers. This is the Entrepreneur Academy. If you have a question, use the hashtag the Entrepreneur Academy.